0: Welcome to King's Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about King's Church, visit kcnyc.org. So we're going to get started as we do every week, and we're going to stand and read the word. We're continuing on our journey of Abraham, now with Isaac. So it's going to be Genesis 22, 1. All right, all together. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, He said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went both of them together. All right. God, I just thank you for this opportunity to share your heart with people who are on this adventure with you that are journeying and learning what it is to live life for you. I pray that my words would be your words and not mine, that I would be able to just be a vessel, and that we take this to heart and press on this week with our journey with you. Amen. Amen. All right, you can see. Thanks, Megan. So when I was coming to David asked me to preach, I said... He said, well, you can preach on this other thing. You've kind of already done the work for this, so we can take a break from Abraham. And I was like, can I take Isaac, which is kind of unfair because it's like the culmination of the story. But David let me have at least the beginning part. Originally, I was going like, to do the whole chapter, and then the words of my family came to me and when I was a kid I used to tell these really long stories and go on these random rabbit trails with all the like specifics because I love context and I wanted everyone to have all the details how I was feeling, how I was thinking, what shirt I was wearing and my family always said, Greg we need the movie preview not the movie (laughs) and so that was the thing of like okay learn to take the thing and drive it home with good information and not all the extra details, Um, but to kind of begin, I'm going to tell you a little bit of my, my story and why this moment in Scripture is so important to me. So I grew up in church. I was born in Washington State um, about 28 years and one month ago. Um, and we grew up in church. So I, I, my parents weren't pastors, but I described myself as ministry kid. Pastors' kids get to be called PKs. I was an MK because I was a ministry kid. Um, we were often there before Um, service started, and much later, when service ended, I used to tell the kids, church workers, you can just let me go, my parents aren't going to come get me, because they're doing stuff, they're busy, and you want to go home, so you should just let me leave, because you want to go home now, and I want to leave. They didn't always work, but eventually they would get around to it, because I pushed too hard. But, anyway, grew up in church, grew up in ministry. When I was seven, my parents sat my sister and I down and said, we're moving to Southern California. And it was this, like, strange, exotic, weird place that I'd never been to. And I was thinking, why are we moving to California? God said to. What? That doesn't make sense. Like, God's just telling us to move across the country? And like, well, there's a job. We prayed about it, and God said to move. And all of my family had lived in Washington all my life, so moving to California was leaving everything we knew um, to go to an unknown place. We had no friends, no community, brand new. Um, I think this was a first... For me as like a child, seeing my parents be obedient in faith and what that looks like in practicality with making big moves. We moved to California. It takes a while. We finally find a church. My parents immediately get involved. Um, Dad does all the like the sound, audio, visual, plays every instrument. My mom does all the organizational type stuff, works with youth ministry, all of that. So that's what my parents were immediately involved in. And we were always brought along with everything. Uh, I went to church camp for the first time, like youth camp, when I was going into sixth grade, which was weird because in our church, sixth grade wasn't really, you were supposed to be in seventh or eighth grade, but they let me come in for two reasons. One, I again pressed my case, let me come. I'm old. I'm, I'm old enough. I'm mature enough. And my parents also spoke for me and the youth pastor was like, all right, you can come. And I'm so glad I did because that summer was revolutionary in my walk of faith because this is when Christianity when Jesus was real to me. He wasn't just my parents' faith. So I went to church camp. Church camp, I get baptized in the Holy Spirit. Um, for those of you who haven't been around church all your life, this is basically a belief that we have that there's a second moment in faith in our journey where we accept Jesus, we get baptized in water, and we get baptized in the Holy Spirit where God um, interacts, jumps in, interjects himself in our life in a very real tangible way. Uh, This is also the summer that God called me into ministry. So church camp, there was a pastor speaking, talking about what ministry looks like, what it means to have a call of ministry on your life. At the end of the service during worship, he asked the entire audience, who here has a call of ministry on their life? And the Holy Spirit said, you. You have a call of ministry on your life. So I was like, cool, what does that mean? It was great because at that camp, we also had a... College, a Bible college there that was like representing their school saying, Hey, we're a ministry school. This is what we do. So I was like, cool. I guess I'll go there in six years. And so I was like, all right, this is something to look forward to this. is What I'm going to do as time happens, life happens. I began to like doubt this idea. And I was like, you know what? Maybe that's not really the thing for me. Maybe I don't want to go to a tiny Bible college. Maybe I want to do a little bit more, like go to a real, real university and have a real university experience. But I kind of felt this tug of, like, I need to be obedient. Okay, fine. Well, what if I go to a big university and do something I really like? Like theater. I'll go and do theater, and then I'll get a minor in Bible, because, you know, that still honors God. And then I'll be, like, a teacher and, like, do theater. And then I'll also kind of, you know, serve at the church. And that will cover all my bases and do all the things. And God said, not enough. I want, you in, I want you to follow me. I want you to be obedient to what I've called you to do. Fast forward junior year of high school, my youth group's going to the, the school for their like, college preview day where they're like trying to advertise themselves, and my youth group's like, just skip school, it's an excused absence, even if you're not going to school, it's a fun time to come hang out and go to school. And I was like, if I'm not going to that school, I don't want them to spend their money on me just to skip school for a day. So I didn't skip school, went to school, was that square kid that was like, I'm going to go to school every single day. Um... So I go to school, and it was one of the worst days. Not only did we not do anything productive for any of my classes, but I just felt out of sorts the entire day. And the Holy Spirit just again gently rested heavily on my heart, saying, you're not supposed to be here today. You were supposed to be at the school, because that's where you're going. (sighs) Fine. So I threw out all the other plans of going to this, you know, giant university, studying theater, and I said, fine, I'll do this thing. I only applied to one college, a small Bible college in Southern California called Life Pacific College. Uh, it's denominational school, and I was like, okay, I'm here, I'm doing the thing, I'm sacrificing, I'm giving up my dream to do this theater thing, and I'm going to, you know, give you this ministry. And at the school, they had a couple of theater classes, like, great, I can still kind of do a little bit of the thing I like, and this will be fun. Uh... Two months into the, my first year of school, of university, God says, you're moving across the country next year. What? I just got here. I didn't want to come here. I just got here, and now you're saying I'm leaving. So basically, within the campus, there was a small, tighter-knit ministry that was basically like a master's commission on the campus. So they used the university's curriculum, used them for, to get degrees in, like, real... Like, accredited classwork, while also being a lot more intentional with community service, with outreach. Um, there's a lot more rules. They called it covenant, where basically it was like they had a curfew. You couldn't date. They like, had all these fun rules that, like, I'm a college student. I don't want to do all that. Like, you know, but um, when they, they said they were leaving and I was like, I'm going to be a good Christian and I'm going to pray for the space that they're leaving to be filled with new students for the school. So I start praying, I do this like, walk around this building, and as time goes on, I get to know them, because they're like, who is this stranger walking around our building? So I get to know them, just kind of become friends, and in the process I hear, oh, they're leaving again, and they could be going to Virginia, they could be going to Kansas City, Missouri. Cool, good for them, I'm gonna pray for my school. And God said, you're going with them to Virginia. They didn't even know that they were going to Virginia yet. I didn't realize this until later, but I told my parents on Thanksgiving of that year, I'm moving to Virginia. And they didn't know probably until four or five months later that they were actually going to Virginia. That was the hard line. But I just knew, I'm moving to Virginia. So that summer, I packed my little two-door factory model Hyundai Accent, no AC, and drive across the country. I'm glad that I left when I did, because I left at 10 o'clock at night. I drove through the desert. And it was like 97 degrees at 2 in the morning. No AC, that would have been a bad time in the middle of the day. Anyway, moved to Virginia. What am I doing in the middle of nowhere? Small school, there is no theater. No art. Just, you know, church ministry. Okay, God, this is your thing. I'm giving it to you. Why does that have anything to do with what we're talking about? So we spent the ent- almost in a year. We're 11 months this week of being a church here, and we've been hearing about Abraham's journey. From the very beginning, God said, you are going to do the thing. You are going to be the father of generations. I'm going to give you this promise. I'm going to give this to you. Trust me. We follow along as he stumbles. He's faithful sometimes. He's not faithful other times. He honors what God asks him to do, but other times he's selfish, is fearful, and doesn't do what he's supposed to do. He has a son, not through Sarah. So we have another son who's not of the promise. And then God said, no, this is what I want you to do. This is what I'm going to provide for you to do. Do this. So finally, great. We have a son through Sarah. His name is Isaac. Laughter. Awesome. Kill him. What? Kill your son. This is the story. We've journeyed all these years to get to a point where it's like, All right, you have your son that I've promised you. Now you need to sacrifice him to me. What? That's that's where we're at in the story. So let's go through a little bit verse by verse. Verse one. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he said, here I am. So first thing we should note about this story is it says God's testing Abraham. We know what his intentions are. God is still intending good for Abraham. He just is testing how faithful Abraham is. So it's also important to note that he says testing. Um, sometimes people, we can get, wait, does he tempt? Does he test? Like what is it? God doesn't tempt us. Um, James makes that very clear for us. James 1.13 says, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. God doesn't tempt. God doesn't want us to stumble. But God will test. He wants to test that we care more about him than we do about the thing, than we do about what he's promised us, than we do about the miracle. Do we care more about him? One of the tests in my faith journey came very early on. Another camp story. A lot of things happen when you're a young Christian at camp. Um... (laughs) So, Wednesday night of church camp, it was a week long, Monday through Friday, and I'm, you know, on my knees, very emotional, and I'm like, God, you can have my entire life, do anything you want with it, and he says, thank you, I appreciate that, leave camp today. That doesn't make any sense, I'm like learning so much about you, I'm like, you know, getting closer to you, I'm getting close to my friends at church, leave camp. You asked me what I want, I want you to leave camp. That makes no sense. But okay, earlier that day my dad had driven up to camp, which was an hour and a half from our home, just to spend the day at camp because that's what he would do sometimes. So my dad was up at camp planning to leave that night to go home. So I already had a way home, no complications, God was prepared, and I was like, I don't want to go home, so I went to my youth pastor and I said, "I need you to pray for me. I need some clarity. God has asked me to do this thing and I'm not sure if it's him." And he said, I'm not going to pray for you, you know what you have to do, do it. <laughs> and that was one of those moments where like, it was like a realization where sometimes in our faith journey we, we know what God wants us to do, but we don't want to do it, so we use spiritualism to kind of cover that and be like, I'm just going to pray, I'm going to ask for a fleece, I'm going to ask for like all these things, and God's like, I said do it, you know what to do, do it. So I take get in the car and I'm very emotional because I'm like panicking. Is there gonna be some accident that happens on this mountain? Are all my friends gonna die? Like, what is this that God's like taking me away from? Is this some like super like intense moment where I'm gonna tell a story and it's like, just leave. Next day, nothing happens. That Friday, my mom was laid off from her job and she was the kind of main source of income in our family. And because she has MS, it was unlikely that she was to get another as good job as she had. So, scary moment, and the Holy Spirit nudges me and said, you need to show your parents what obedience looks like. And you need to tell them that this is what obedience looks like. And I was like, I'm not going to tell my parents that I was obedient and this is what it looks like. I'm not going to be that snarky child. You know, Joseph, like, I had a dream you're going to bow down to me. No, like, (laughs) I'm not going to do that. But God's like, they need to know it. The entire purpose of your obedience was to show them what obedience looks like, and for you to know what obedience looks like. So I shared, and because my parents are awesome, they received it well. They didn't see him as like, don't tell me what to do, child. But it was very much like, okay, that's, that's good wisdom. We'll be patient. We'll wait on the Lord. So something that, always, that also stands out is that Abraham said, here I am. He's waiting and listening. He's ready to hear what God is saying. That's another thing when you're waiting on God. You have to be ready to listen and hear because he's speaking to you already. You just have to place yourself in a, in a way that you can understand and receive from him. All right, verse two. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you." Technically, Abraham has two sons, but because Isaac is the son of promise, he is the one and only son. He is the lineage of Israel, he is the lineage of Jesus, another one and only son. One and only son, this is the promise, this is the thing, this is the gift that God has been said and offer as a burnt offering. Now that song that we were singing, Yahweh, is like fire consume. That's what a burnt offering is. It's not like a light singeing. (laughs) Burnt offering is you are completely consumed, destroyed, gone. It is a commitment. So we have this moment of contention because we know that God is asking Abraham to do this thing. Now we know in hindsight that it's a test from God, but Abraham didn't. Abraham is hearing this thing, and he knows that God doesn't like killing children. He knows that God is not about killing your firstborn. So he's living in this tension of, I'm really confused. God told me this thing, but I know it's not in his character. So how does he respond? Obedience, because he knows that God's character is going to come through. Micah 6, 7 gives a reference of other nations who used to like give up their children, their firstborn, as like a way because they were like, we have a drought, everything's going wrong. We are so desperate, we need the biggest uh, sacrifice, so our firstborn. And even then, in Micah, he says that God doesn't receive it. Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? it's this desperation, this, this act that it was required in other nations. And we know that God doesn't require that. So how do we live in this contention? We live in obedience. Verse three. So Abraham rose early in the morning. How many of you like to rise early in the morning? First thing, when God's saying, let's go, let's do this. Theoretically, I like it. I like the idea of it. When I'm getting up, and I'm like, I'm going to go for a run, and then it's 45 minutes later when I actually get out of bed. That's how I feel. All right. But no, Abraham first rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering, and arose and went to the place of which God had told them. I don't know how well he slept that night, but I probably wouldn't have slept very well. But then to get up first thing, get everything prepared and go. One of my mom's favorite phrases growing up was delayed obedience is still disobedience. Not my favorite phrase, but the idea is still there. When God says do something, we do it. Abraham is willing. Uh, The author of Genesis, who we believe is Moses, doesn't make it clear if Abraham actually knows how God's going to provide or what God's going to do. he's still being obedient. Um, Hebrews gives us a little clue on that. It says, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac on the altar. He who had received the promises was ready to offer his one and only son, even though God had said to him, Through Isaac your offspring shall be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead, and in a sense, he did receive Isaac back from death. That's Hebrews eleven seventeen through 19. So what the author of Hebrews is saying at the end of the day even if Abraham didn't know if he actually had to go through with the killing he thought well at the end of the day God could still raise him back from the dead which is another interesting parallel because there was another first and only son that was raised back from the dead but for this moment with Isaac he doesn't know but he's still obedient he knew that God had promised him, generations, land, and providence through his son Isaac, and yet God was asking him to sacrifice him. So he knew all of this was there. He also knew the promise, but he also knew that he had to be obedient to what God said. He knew God's character. He knew who God was, that his promises were true, that he was good, and that he could trust in him. It's sometimes hard to trust and expect for good things when you're not always Given good things, or even when people have promised you good, and it hasn 't happened, growing up uh, we didn 't have a lot, but we had plenty. My parents provided well for us um, there wasn't we never like went hungry or anything, but there were times when things were a little bit more tough, and because of that, holidays and birthdays were a little bit hard sometimes because it'd be like my parents always wanted to give us the world, but they couldn 't and so How do you do that with your children where you want to give them everything but you can't? So there are like three significant presents, gifts that I remember growing up and how they were delivered that kind of affected my view of hope and gifts. The first isn't the best example and I feel bad telling this story because I know my dad feels probably way worse about it than I do. Um, but I'm thinking like my 12th birthday, uh, I'd asked for a basketball hoop because I had in my mind that I was going to be this basketball player. My best friend was a basketball player. So I was like, oh yeah, I'm going to do this. I'm going to practice at home, get good. So then when I can do tryouts, I'll be ready. Um, and so my parent, my birthday came, my parents said, all right, we're going to get you the basketball hoop. We don't have the money for it right now, but we're going to get it. It's coming. It's going to happen. A couple months go by. A year goes by. By the time I get to high school, I'm like, you know what? It's fine. I don't need the basketball hoop anymore. I think I'm past that phase. But I think for that moment, it was this moment of like, this was a thing that I thought was going to happen, and then it didn't. And it was just like a hard moment. But again, it's, I mean, hindsight, I'm obviously not a super basketball player. So it's, it's okay. But like in the moment, it was hard. Um, one of the other great gifts that my parents did give us was when we had just moved to California um, on Christmas morning, we were opening presents, and like, we started opening presents one by one, and we got like a bike chain, a bike helmet, a water bottle holder, a bunch of different things for bikes. And we we're like, did we get new bikes? And my parents were like, no, you didn't get new bikes. You just got all this stuff for bikes. We're like, we got new bikes. Where's the bikes? So we we're running around the house looking for it, and my parents were like, you think we have the bikes inside? So we run out, and there's two brand new bikes sitting in our garage. And it was this beautiful moment of, like, this lead-up of, I know there's something else here. There's something bigger. There's something coming. Um, Sometimes God gives like that where there's a big thing coming, and he gives little nuggets that lead us to that point. One of the more funny gifts, I think, for my parents was, um, for us, our Christmas tradition was we wake up really early. We go and open our stockings, and... um, the stockings were like this moment that my sister and I were just like crazy running through all the things that we got. My parents were still in bed, so then we'd go and like tell them all the things that Santa got for us in our stockings. Um, because Santa took care of the stockings, my parents took care of the presents. At least that's what we thought. Um, so in our stockings was this rolled up piece of paper, and on it was this printed screen out like screenshot of a laptop, and we're like, "It's a laptop, like what?" But it's on a piece of paper, like, "What is what is this?" So my parents were. They tell us they're waiting for us to make like some sort of noise, but we just kind of like walk calmly back and we're like, what does this mean? Because like, you know, you're kids and you know, like money's not growing on trees for your parents. They keep telling you that. So, you know that. So, (laughs) you go and they're like, you're getting laptops. It's like, it's a paper. Yes, they were on back order. So, they're not coming for two weeks, but you're getting them. They already ordered them. They're coming. And it was this moment of excitement, like, is this, is this real? My parents were disappointed because they were hoping for this, like, big, huge, like, excitement. And we were just kind of like, what? Like, is this? But then it was that excitement of, this is coming. This is a good thing that is coming, and I know it's here. I have proof it's coming. Look at this. This is the order form. Basically, it's that when you order on Amazon and you like, yes, confirmed, checkout. it's on its way, it should arrive by this date, and then you're like, all right, is it here yet? Um, but that's the, that's the way God gives, is he makes promises, and it sometimes doesn't always look like we think it's going to look, and it doesn't always arrive when we think or want it to arrive. But we can trust that God is good. Um, verse 4. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. So, three is a significant number in the Bible. um, Trinity, but then days and time. Um, In the study I was reading, it was saying that three days could have just been the length of time that it took to get there. um, Or it was common for two days of prep time for a sacrifice. So, there's prep that goes into a sacrifice. Which, again, in a later time in the Bible, three days are significant For someone else who is a sacrifice. Um, Lifting your eyes up is a repeating theme that we've discussed, is you lift your eyes up to where your help comes from. Psalms 121, I lift my eyes up to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made the heaven and the earth. The hills are where God is that he comes help from. That's what we know in scripture. Verses 5 through 6, Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. Abraham took the wood with the burnt offering, laid it on Isaac, his son, and he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they both went them together, both of them together. Isaac is walking to his death, carrying the wood for his death. Jesus walked to Golgotha, carrying the cross for us. This is a son that was promised that is going to be a sacrifice making direct representation of Jesus later on, who is the son who was sacrificed for us. I can't imagine it being Isaac, though, because you're like walking up the hill, and you're like, what's going on? In fact, he says in verse 7, Isaac said to his father, my father, and he said, here I am, son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? got to notice at some point that you're walking up to offer something and you don't have anything to offer. You know, Isaac's walking up and he's like, where is the sacrifice? But not only is Abraham trusting God, Isaac is trusting his father. He's trusting that his father is knowing what he's going to do and is obedient. And that's the amazing thing about a legacy of people who are God-fearing. Like, I could trust my parents when we were moving. I can trust that they're listening to God and being obedient, so I will trust their authority and leadership. Verse 8. Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they both went, both of them together. So they went, both of them together. We don't know if this is ironic in the sense that Abraham knows that God's going to provide something else, or Abraham is saying, God's going to provide a solution. Whatever it looks like, God will provide. But what's significant about this idea to me is that Abraham is super confident in God, in God's character, that God's going to come through in this situation. God isn't going to leave him hanging. God isn't going to promise him all this good and then strip it away. So he trusts that whatever's going to happen, he, can, he knows that God is good. Um, one of my friends this week actually posted a quote from a devotional he was reading that I thought was very, very pertinent to this idea. So uh, I'm going to read it. It's from Origen, who was a uh, philosopher and theologian in like really, really old times. What do you say to these things, Abraham? What kind of thoughts are stirring in your heart? A word has been uttered by God that is such as to shatter and try your faith. What do you say to these things? What are you thinking? What are you reconsidering? Are you thinking, are you turning over in your heart that if the promise has been given to me in Isaac, but I offer him for a burnt offering, it remains that the promise holds no hope? Or rather, do you think of those well-known words and say it that is impossible for him who promised to lie? Be that as it may, the promise shall remain. Abraham knew himself to prefigure the image of future truth. He knew the Christ was to be born from his seed, who was also to be offered as a truer victim for the whole world and was raised from the dead. In that verse, verse 8, not only are we seeing God's character of God providing, but over and over again we're seeing that repeating fig- image we do not have enough to give God. We will never have enough. So God will always give us what we need. A lot of people look at the old law, the Mosaic law, and they're like, wow, those are just really hard laws, hard rules to live with. But if you consider that we made the decision to divide ourselves from God by choosing our own way, by making it about us, and then God gives us through sacrifice in the Old Testament, a way to get back to him, to enter the Holy of Holies, and then that to be symbolic and to like present the idea that would later come of him completely giving us the sacrifice that would be sufficient for us to get to know him. Jesus was the sacrifice that he gave for us. We did nothing in this transaction. So... We know God is good. We know his character is good. We know his promises are good. He will always provide the sacrifice that we need to honor him and to live for him with our lives. Um, I first preached a a variance of this kind of message when I was at school in Virginia. I told the story, the same story I told you earlier about this dream of mine to be in theater, to do acting, but this nagging, wonderful call of God on my life and how God has continually asked me to release the dreams to him and allow him to take that as a sacrifice. Immediately after I preached it in college, my college director said, all right, who else in this room likes art and theater? And like probably about 10, 15 people raised their hands. And he's like, all right, Greg's gonna meet with you at lunch. You guys are starting our arts department. And so over the next two and a half years, I formed a group that I was able to mentor and coach. We wrote, directed, and produced our own shows. We had two dinner theaters where we raised money for our school. We had a touring show um, as like a ministry opportunity. And it was just this amazing way that God was saying, you trusted me with this, and I'm going to give you a nugget of the promise. And this is something, yeah, th- it's great because God is so good. And it was, it was this moment of like, wow, thank you, God. And even since then, I have since left the school, moved to Virginia, didn't have enough money to move here. God provided an apartment, provided a job that took me on a path that I couldn't believe. Um, you know, if you asked me five years ago if I'd be roasting coffee in a giant, Starbucks in Midtown I would have said that's crazy Um, but God just takes us on these journeys and we just have to trust him Uh, I intentionally last night when I was going over my notes God said you need to stop at this verse because there's more to the story and spoilers ahead God does provide and follow through but sometimes we don't always see that follow through immediately so we, we end the story here Abraham's walking up the hill with his son ready to sacrifice him knowing that God is good but not knowing how he's going to come through a couple ideas and and questions but he's sure that God is good so questions for everyone have you heard a promise for God on your life if you haven't there's time now when I was in school, people would say everyone's destined to be amazing and great and the top. And I think to a level that is true, you are called to be the amazing and top of your life. And whatever that looks like. It may mean that you are what the world thinks of as success or not. It depends on where God has you and what God is calling you to. But do you know God's call? If you don't, I recommend you spend time and sit and ask him where he's leading you. If God has called you, if God has made a promise to you, is his promise more important than he is? Something that Jesus would always do with the masses that would come to him is he would provide miracles after miracles, but the question is, was the miracle more important than the miracle maker? God wants to give us good, but not at the cost of losing us. Do you believe God is good and that he will honor his promise to you? Are you willing to stake everything that God will do what he says he will do? Are you willing to live in that promise, that tension of, I don't know how it's going to happen, but I'm going to trust that you're going to come through with this because I can't see it right now. Isaac is symbolic of Jesus, but he is also symbolic of promises, of, of things that God has bringing up in our lives? Are we trusting God with every little thing in our life? Faith is like a muscle. It's not something that we just, you know, immediately have a miracle for, you know, someone's going to get cured of cancer right now, which would be amazing. But faith starts with little steps of obedience. Am I going, what am I going to do at work today? Am I going to talk to this person on the street? Am I going to give this to this person? Am I going to go up to that stranger? Am I going to love this person that I don't really like most of the time? How does faith look in our lives, and how are we building up our muscles so that when God says, it's time for you to move across the country, or it's time for you to stay in this job for the next 10 years, are we willing to be faithful? I'm going to pray, and I'll ask the worship team to come up as we close here. God, I just thank you for this opportunity that we've had to just press in and listen to what you have for us. Thank you that you are good, that you love us, and that your promises are true. But thank you that you love us more than the gifts that you give us. And I pray that you continue to just press in. I just thank you that you will continue and press in and love on us. And Lord, I just pray that all of our hearts will be receptive and willing to sit with you and to just embrace your love and trust you with all the promises that you have for our lives. Thank you, God. Thank you for listening to our podcast. We really believe that God wants you to know him in a personal and tangible way. If there's any way we can assist your journey, please reach out to kcnyc.org.